Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Sitting across the interrogation room from me today is critically acclaimed international best-selling author C.J. Box. C.J.'s authored 24 novels, including the Joe Pickett series, and has sold more than 6 million books in 27 languages. His awards have won the Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Novel, an Anthony Award, and a Pre-Calibre 38. He's also picked up a McCavity, a Gumshoe, two Barry Awards, and the 2010 Mountains and Plains Independent Booksellers Association Award for Fiction. Additionally, CJ's won the 2016 Western Heritage Award for Literature by the National Cowboy Museum and the Spur Award from the Western Writers of America for Best Contemporary Novel. Just this past March, he released Wolfpack, a Joe Pickett novel, and this August, The Bitterroots continues the Cassie Duel series. Welcome to Writers on the Beat, CJ. I greatly appreciate you making time to stop in. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Now, I'm reading The Bitterroots now, and I'm really impressed with the authenticity of this story. Uh, for readers new to you or maybe just new to this series, uh, what would you like them to know about this upcoming novel? Well, it, it's um, Cassie Duell is the protagonist. Uh, she was actually introduced in a book called um, The Highway a few years ago. And um, I'd never intended to write a second series, uh, but... I really, I was intrigued by the character. I liked writing Cassie. Um, she then appeared in three other books um, as a cop. And in this book, uh, she's just opened up her own private investigative firm in Southern Montana. And uh, she's just getting started. Um, she's very dogged, she's very effective. She works hard, but she's sort of learning her new profession. And she comes into it with, with not a, a great, view of uh, private investigators because from her experience as a cop um, she kind of had learned to not like them that much so now she's on the other side. I've got uh, quite a bit of family from southwestern Montana and I I took a great deal of pride in putting some of those characters uh, based on on them and those folks that live there in my debut crime novel. Uh, the recurring experiences of visiting up there really made me appreciate your portrayal of gentrified small town Montana and uh, things like the Church of Trout. Um, <laughs> you know, for, for my money, uh, Montana and Wyoming uh, is populated with incredibly unique places um, and fiercely proud, kind of hardened, but really uh, independent people who give you the shirt off their back once they know and, and like you. Um, I've also known more than a few of, uh, who kind of match the, the, the Bitterroots character, Rand, who's always itching for a fight. Um, Mm-hmm. When you're writing your characters, uh, how, how do you know when you've got their, their personalities, their mannerisms, and their, their quirks right for, for where they're supposed to be in the world? Well, I, you know, I do, I'm an outliner. And um, when I start with the, the idea of a, of, of a book, whether it's a Joe Pickett book or a Cass, Cassie Duel or a standalone, um, I first of all come up with the, the overriding themes within the book and um, research them as much as I can. And then I sit down and kind of do character sketches, uh, create the the, uh, characters who are going to appear, reoccurring characters if it's a series, um, and then new characters if it's standalone um, or a combination of both. And I just do a a quick little uh, bio sketch. And for some reason, for me, it works best if I write a line of dialogue 
for that character. And that, that then mm. st- with that, it kind of fleshes out. So um, in this case, it's a, uh, Cassie is investigating a, an extremely dysfunctional but prominent ranch family um, in Western Montana. So each of the members of that family are, are very uh, clearly drawn, I hope, and yes. um, have their own personalities, but of course they're connected. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I have really enjoyed about the authenticity that my, my stepdad um, grew up in, in uh, the Dillon area. And he's oh, yeah. his summers working on uh, uh, ranches up there and, and cutting alfalfa. And um, when the uh, a lot of the California folks started moving in, and I, the ranch that he worked on actually got bought by, by Hank Williams Jr. a number of years ago. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he, you know, kind of saw a lot of that starting you know 20 30 40 well he's a lot older than that so a long time ago <laughs> and you know so it uh it, it really made me appreciate the 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 effort that you put in and giving these folks their own unique voice and also being very true to the location and in, in that part of the world thank you i did i did actually make up a county that doesn't exist and that's lots <laughs> county which in my mind is is uh it's kind of wedged between two counties where Hamilton, Montana mm-hmm. is in that area. Um, Cause I didn't want to use the actual County. Um, so, but it, it's the area, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the area uh, prior to writing the book. I do what I usually do. And that is go there. And um, you know, that is a remarkably long drive from Southern yes. Wyoming, one state away to Montana. I think it took mm-hmm. 14 hours um, to get there. And, um, I just poked around, um, and, you know, that's kind of what I do. I, I talk to people, I interview people. Um, like I, I used to be a journalist a long time ago. I still do it. Um, I tend to, there's places that you can get a lot of good information about the character of an area. And in my case, um, I went to a small independent bookstore in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, I met, I met the people with my very first book. I did a book signing there and they were still there and wow. they, uh, they gave me a lot of local insight and color and pointed me toward the right kind of bars to go check out and places. So I just drove around, took notes. Um, while I was there, there was a huge forest fire going on and I kind of incorporated that into the book, even though I hadn't planned to, because it did create a, a kind of weird atmosphere with, um, you know, lines of fire at night mm-hmm. um, in all the mountains and then on, and smoke all day long. Yeah, that, that fire in your story almost becomes its its own character and its own influence on the on the other characters and on the environment, on the, the way that they have to go about their daily lives. It's It really is a palpable thing when you're living in those areas. It is, and it affects everything. Um, you know, I mentioned in Montana, especially Western Montana, how, um, you know, everything, every uh, town is every road, um, basically are in the valleys between big mountains. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it's, it's just sort of veiny where people live. And when the, the fires take over all of the mountains, like they did, you know, last summer, um, there's really no way to escape it. You just go from fire to fire and over the top and don't really ever get away from it. Now, you just released the 19th Joe Pickett novel last March, and this current um, upcoming release, The Bitterroots, comes out in August. How many novels are you working on at any one time? Oh, I never work on more than one at a time. <laughs> but what um, my, my, uh, 
my the way it's worked over the last seven or eight years is that I write like a book and a half a year. Um, the Joe Pickett books contractually come out every year. Uh, so those have never had a, a you know a real break in this and the standalones as I uh, like to refer to them like the Cassie book come out every other year. Mm. So what I usually do is I'll start on the standalone, complete about half of it, totally set it aside, never even look at it until the next Joe Pickett book is done and then resume the, uh, the standalone after that. So um, that, like I said, that works out to, to about a book and a half a year. So last year I completed two and this year two come out. You know, uh, from from my perspective, my first thought about that is that when you go back and revisit that book you haven't seen for almost a year, that uh, in some degree, I, it's a little bit like starting over with a fresh set of eyes, and my first instinct would be to start editing rather than to start writing. How, how does that work for you? And that's exactly what I do. Um, sometimes that night, that long break of setting it aside, um, it, I get ideas that when I resume the book, um, t totally change what I was doing in the first place. Um, and, and I think it, the, the books are, are better for it really. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. and because, you know, it, whole new elements can come in and, um, things that I never really planned to do. For example, on the bitter roots, um, there's a sub subtext of, a of a trucker, um, mm -hmm. that Cassie Duell has, dealt with in previous books. And I, and when I originally wrote it, I didn't have that subtext, that theme in there. And when I rewrote it, um, I added it, I think, to, I think hopefully to add suspense and a little mm -hmm. bit of mystery and kind of some horror. Um, when she thinks that possibly this person that she thought she dispatched is back. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me as a, as a reader, this is my first intro to, to Cassie Duell and Everything that uh, you've written about her and uh, or about the, the the trucker aspect of this up to the point I'm at in the book has uh, it it feels very um, full and informative. Very, it's you know definitely a good standalone. But I feel like there's just enough information from what I know already that I need to go back and and read those other books. It's really I think you did a good job of planting all these seeds to make sure that I go back and visit uh, the the other books in the series. Well, good. Well, thank you. That's, that's always a trick. Um, I think yes. with every, a trick meaning it's hard to accomplish yes. with, um, I think every writer in, with a series is that you've got to introduce, um, you've got to provide enough information for a brand new reader not to feel lost, but not overdo it for, um, you know, long time readers that they feel are, they're re you know, reading something over again and again and again. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to do sometimes. Yeah. And on a similar note, uh, one of the things that I've noticed so far in my, my notes is I, I read these things as, uh, as a reader, but also as a, a bit of a critic in trying to, um, you know, ferret some of these details out, but also using your examples to improve my own craft. But one of the things I've noticed is that you are very sneaky and very subtle about how you incorporate a lot of the the traditional obligatory thriller scenes in, in your writing. Um, sometimes I feel like, you know, we get hammered over the head with them as a reader. Um, but how, how do you design them so that they're woven in so effectively that it isn't quite so obvious when, you know, the MacGuffin appears, but it's there. Boy, I don't even know how, if I can answer that question. Um, I, I do know, you know, I'm a reader too. And, um, and I like to, 
you know, I, I like to plant seeds throughout. Um, part of that is, is part of that process, I think, comes from the outlining. I know where everything's going. Um, so I can make an almost offhand reference early in the book to something that will later um, come about and um, be justified and fit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always going back as I write. I'm always, you know, always going back to the first um, first chapter, for sometimes first page, sometimes first line, um, so that everything I hope goes seamlessly and that little disparate parts throughout the book um, get knotted together in the end. So it's, it's kind of tricky, but, um, you know, I think it's just kind of a, the craft Mm-hmm. as opposed to inspiration <laughs> and yes. hopefully that works. You know, I, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, very excited about this book. I'm really looking forward to getting it, it finished. You've, you've definitely hooked me into the Cassie Duel series. So congratulations. You have one more reader. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Welcome aboard. <laughs> yes. uh, I understand that you studied uh, mass communications at DU, um, which also makes me think that you probably wanted to write from a very young age. So, I, I wonder when you did, um, when you when you knew you actually could write, that you had something to say that people outside your family wanted to hear. Well, I you know I I I think if you're a writer, you're, it's just hardwired into you, no matter what you're doing. Um, I mean, it took 20 years from when I first when I got out of college. I worked for newspapers, um, little weeklies in and around Wyoming. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, but I always wanted to write that book, and it took 20 years from when I first kind of conceived of an idea of a, uh, a game warden as a protagonist in a novel to when that book actually uh, was published. So over that time, over that 20 years, I did a lot of different things um, in marketing and tourism marketing, owned my own company for a while, um, but I always wrote on the side, and finally, um, had a manuscript that I thought actually my wife thought was good enough. And um, it, then it took another four years to actually get it published after it was written. So, you know, I call it my 20 year overnight success story, but uh, it was always on the side. I mean, I continued to work for 10 to 15 years after that first book came out, still writing a book a year before it was um, monetarily worthwhile to quit my day job. Now, that's one of the common recurring themes of this podcast is that, it, you know, for a lot of folks, most folks, some folks, um, it, it's a, it takes a decade of consistent blood, sweat, and tears to become an overnight success. And the right. more folks I talk to, it seems like it's more at least a decade of that kind of that kind of effort. And I, I think it really gets underrated how how passionate and consistent you have to be about being a writer if you want to, to do this full-time. Right. Um, in a way, with the series especially, it's almost kind of like a pyramid scheme. Um, you know, the first <laughs> book, if the first book does well, luckily my first book did well, but it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to, to live on and uh, raise a family with. So the second book came out and, you know, the third. And luckily, if, if it all goes well, um, readers continue to, to jump on board as the series goes on. And if they like the current book that they just picked up, they go back to the first and then uh, start the series again. And I, I see that pattern going happening over and over and over and to the point that um, 
this is kind of inside baseball, but I, I just got a royalty statement mm-hmm. for the Joe Pickett series. And the first book that's now 19 years old outsold all of the rest of the books in the, in the series because people have, are going back. Oh, holy cow. Congratulations. That's uh, that, that to me would, would tell me as an author that you're really doing it right. Well, it's not strategic. It just happened. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, who was your first writing mentor and what was that relationship like? You know, um, I've honestly got to, most of the mentors I had were, were, uh, editors um, on newspapers or, or, or fellow journalists. I didn't really ever know a commercial, a, a writer of commercial fiction until I was published. Um, they, they just, they aren't around any place in Wyoming. Yes. Yes. So um, I was never really taught that way. I, I kind of self-learned it. Um, but I think with the journalistic background, it's, I find it very, very helpful still. Um, you know, I, I can meet deadlines. I can, Right. Um, there's not much difference between the opening line of a good feature story and a, a great opening line of a, of a novel. So I kind of honed my craft by, by doing journalism and then turned that into uh, the, the methods I still use to write fiction. I think a, a lot of great series, especially, uh, have the, their, their feet firmly planted in, in, in a few different genres. Uh, where do you think your books belong on the shelves, uh, especially the, you know, the Pickett and the Duel series? I, you know, I, I'm always kind of puzzled. To, um, I'm not a very good, I can't answer that question really well. In my mind, I'm writing contemporary Western novels mm-hmm. um, that they're categorized as mysteries and sometimes as thrillers is just fine with me. But um, I never, I, I've never sat down and, and, come up with a book and said, this one will be a thriller. This one will be a mystery. This one will be a police procedural. I've never thought that way. I just, just try to tell the story and start with the themes and um, the structure of a crime novel or mystery is the best way to explore those themes. You know, Mm -hmm. I, to me, I'm writing about the place and the people in the place and uh, the, the plot or the kind of whodunit aspect comes Mm -hmm. You know, that's rated fourth or fifth in the whole thing. Well, now for writers uh, who are just kind of coming up in today's marketplace and with the, the current publishing and writing trends, what do you think are the most important things for aspiring writers to get right to become published authors? I think it's to find their own, to find their own voice. Um, it, it is it's really um, been rewarding to find over the years that the good editors I've had um, want very uh, localized, um, authentic writing as opposed to writing to some kind of uh, imaginary reader out there who's looking for certain things. Um, so I just try to write the best book I can. And I think that a lot of aspiring writers are looking too much to see what the current trend is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's hot and right to that. And I think, I think that comes across on the page when you read it, that you've got somebody trying to appeal to a certain niche or exploit something that's hot as opposed to just writing what they want to write. But that isn't to say that, that at the same token, a lot of aspiring writers I, I meet along the trail don't read very widely. 
They're, they're mm. so in love with their own voice that um, they haven't read widely and different kinds of books. And I think that's the best training there is. Yeah. You know, it's uh, effectively in, in my mind, uh, a, an almost free masterclass when you sit down with, with someone else's, you know, work that's been, you know, very successful in literature or very commercially successful and, and really break it down to examine, you know, how they met the, uh, the obligations the, the obligatory scenes of the, their genre, um, how they structured the story when the reader finds out information. I think all that is priceless and it's right there in front of you. It is. And one of the, I remember, um, doing that. It's one of my favorite books of all time is catch 22. Mm-hmm. And I re- I've read it five times, I think. And when I was first trying to kind of figure out how to write, I actually approached that book and, and kind of read it in chunks backwards to forwards. And that, for some reason, for me, helped me with structure in future mm-hmm. books that I wrote to see wh- when things happen and um, how they ended up. And so it was really just a, a deconstruction of that book and some others that helped me figure out a narrative structure. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice, for, especially from the uh, the analysis analysis perspective. That you know, oftentimes, you know, especially for for me as being such a a fan of reading, it's easy for me to just get lost in a story and realize I haven't made a note for fifteen or twenty pages, and uh, you know, it, it it's it, it's too easy to just uh, disappear into the tale when it's written well. Right, and it, and it's okay to I think to read it the way that way the first time, yes. but then if, if a book really affects um, it really affects you, then go back and and look at it clinically and uh, later, and I think that's helpful. Now, do you have any um, any current works in progress? I'm sure you do, but uh, or rather, let me start that question over again. What current works in progress do you have, and and what are some of the upcoming new releases for you? Well, I'm always working, um, and I'm about three-quarters done with the next Joe Pickett novel uh, called Long Range that will be out next March. Um, It's not – it'll be done this fall and then out next March. And um, like every book, I I, I start with something I I find very interesting or controversial or things people are talking about. And in this case, I I got very interested in the kind of new world of – ultra long distance shooting mm-hmm. that um, certainly certainly taken taken over like elk hunting in the West yes. where people are shooting, making thousand yard shots straight out of the gun or straight out of the box. And it's transforming um, ethically, I think um, the whole idea of, of, the, of, you know, fair chase and pursuit and, and, uh, and hunting, but it's certainly become hugely popular. Yeah. Now, since it's just you and me talking here and, and, you know, there's certainly no one else listening on any inside uh, information you want to give us about long range that we can, uh, we can uh, uh, expect to come out. Well, it, it really does explore the, the, um, the scientific and tactical uh, manufacture of these weapons and, um, you know, talks about the cost of them and the accuracy of them. And that, in effect, it's like every man can be a sniper. Yes. Um, that, that's a whole different thing. And, uh, you know, mo- most of the people who can afford these kind of guns are very ethical, but there's there's got to be a few that just want to see how far away they can kill something. 
Yeah, and you know, for for me as a, a former sniper and, and hunter, that's one of the things that, to me, I go out and plan to make you know a one shot, one kill on this animal, and to be close enough so that it's effective and its suffering ends as soon as that round impacts it. That's that's the goal. Um, right. And, you know, when you start stretching out to very long range, and you're your margin of error becomes somewhat significant um, to the point that, you know, you're really can't say if you're going to hit head harder hips. And that's a very different existence for that animal's last few minutes while you're trooping a quarter mile to get to it. That's right. Um, and I, I went out and tested some of those weapons at a place called Gunworks and Cody. Mm-hmm. And I was hitting targets that I couldn't see with the naked eye. And yes. that was, that was a very weird experience. Yeah, you know, it's that that uh, age-old expression that, you know, from a place you can't see comes a shot you will not hear. And, right. You know. Um, I'll just tell you one thing because I think you would appreciate this. I, I, I worked on this. I worked on the first chapter for weeks because I the, the first chapter is from the perspective of the bullet as mm-hmm. it leaves the muzzle and how it travels and how – uh, many seconds and and the curvature of the earth until it hits its target and I, I'm really proud of that one chapter <laughs> oh that's gonna be fantastic I, I, I would love a sneak peek <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually just talking with a guy recently about some some long relatively long-range shooting nothing like exactly what you're talking about but um, he has a, a 300 wind mag that we were talking about that trajectory and putting out to about it you know um, 800, a thousand yards and, uh, discussing the Coriolis effect of, you know, the reality that right. that bullet travels for so long that from an accuracy perspective, the dot you're shooting at has moved from beneath that bullet, um, during the course right. of flight and, you know, trying to correct for that. So it's really incredible the the, the physics and calculations that go into truly accurate shooting at, at those distances. I agree. Uh, it, it's fascinating and kind of, scary at the same time yes now as a uh, as a writer it, we've already kind of mentioned it a little bit but i uh, for me most writers are also voracious readers um do you have a favorite fictional detective or favorite uh, crime show oh oh um you know i'm a big fan of uh of john sanford mm-hmm. um michael connelly uh denise mina um and I, I read a lot of mystery slash crime. Most of them, honestly, though, are first novels because publishers send me because they want a blurb. Mm-hmm. And some are some are really pretty awful, but uh, there's some <laughs> great ones out there. Yes, uh, read one called Bearskins last year that I thought was fantastic, and that, that I think it won the Edgar Award. And um, and I yeah, I watch a lot of uh, you know a lot of. Crime shows on television, certainly. I'm trying to think of favorites. Um, the Wire, certainly. Um, that was a good one. You know, uh, what did I do? Man, of course, like nothing comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Bad. Tip, tip of the tongue. But I, I watch a lot. Now, keeping that last uh, last answer in mind, I, I saved the hardest question for last for all the, the authors. Uh, God forbid it should come to pass, CJ. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, what fictional ah. investigator 
detective, PI, or even a revenge artist would you want working your case? Wow. Um, I'm going to kind of cheat and say one of my own characters, a guy named Nate Romanowski, who's an outlaw ex-special ops falconer um, <laughs> who is in the Joe Pickett books, who's mm -hmm. uh, kind of famous for carrying um, a 454 Casual revolver and for ripping people's ears off if they won't answer his questions. So I'd want somebody, a bulldog like that. Yeah, make sure that, especially in regards to a murder, right? It's not just a killing, you know? We got to make sure that murder is avenged. I agree. Right, and, and he can do that. Well, I, I greatly appreciate you spending time with us today, CJ, and sharing your, your expertise. It's, it's been an honor talking to you, sir. Well, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been critically acclaimed international bestseller, CJ Box. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.